Welcome back to the North Carolina Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Tiffany Weber. I am an attorney at Thomas & Weber in Mooresville, North Carolina, and I'm joined today by another attorney at our office, Erin Weatherman. Hello, everyone. So today we are picking up our discussion, our final episode of the discussion of the North Carolina Standard Offer to Purchase and Contract for Real Estate. And we're starting at paragraph 14, Addenda. If you have not listened to the first three episodes, I recommend that you go back to that. But if you're like, yeah, everything one through 13, I'm an expert on. I just need to know about the rest. (laughs) Great. Pick up here. (laughs) So Erin, tell me a little bit about the addenda in paragraph 14. Yeah, nothing's more exciting than addenda. So addenda talks about all of those addendums to the contract. So you can have that seller financing addendum. You can have a vacation rental addendum, new construction addendum, just tons of addendums, FHA, all that stuff. And then there's also a section for others. Mm -hmm. And so that's usually attorney drafted addendum. That's where we talked about in the last episode that this past year, the market's been crazy. That's my escalation clause. Mm -hmm. That's my appraisal addendum. All of those attorney-drafted addendums, that's where we put it. And then there's a really important note that under North Carolina law, real estate brokers are not permitted to draft addenda to this contract. So please call us. We'd Mm -hmm. be more than happy to help. Yes, please do. So like if it's a standard form, as you know, you can fill in the standard forms. But outside of that, uh, we kind of harp on this a lot. And it's to keep you out of trouble. We love working with our agents and we want to see them continuing to do this for as long as possible. So don't draft something that you're not supposed to. We're happy to do it. The next thing, paragraph 15, assignments. So assignment, that is when someone other than the party that was contracted with is going to perform under the contract. That could be buyer or seller, although it's much more common with the buyer and A lot of times that's like, okay, uh, say it's a buyer who identified, wholesalers do this a lot, uh, a buyer who identified a property for a good price, but then they're going to turn around and sell it at a higher price to the end buyer. Well, they they do that by assigning the contract to the new buyer. And the contract says that it cannot be assigned without the written consent of all the parties, except... If there's a tax deferred exchange, that's because an exchange or needs to be involved. We'll talk about that in a second. But in all other scenarios, written consent of the parties is required. Now, this is not assumed that the parties have to consent. There's no term in here saying, um, and that consent shall not be unreasonably withheld, conditioned, or delayed, you know. Be unreasonable. <laughs> I, <Yeah>. I'm not <laughs> suggesting. I, I take the, I don't want to rephrase that. Don't be unreasonable, but it's not in the contract that, you know, you have, it's in your discretion. Yeah. You assign it or you don't. You you consent or you don't. Yeah. Um, and that is up to you as the party because you agreed to sell or buy with this specific party. And if a new party is coming in, it's up to you to decide, are you going to be doing business with that party? Yeah. Do you want to have dealings with them? Yes or no? So talking about assignments, I have seen on a number of contracts Um, buyer's name and or assigns. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if I put that on my standard offer to purchase, do I still have to get the consent of the sellers to assign the contract, even though my contract already says or assigns? Well, that one's an interesting one because if we were to talk about the exact right way to do it, Mm -hmm. this paragraph still says what it says. It may not be assigned, 
So and or assigns is not the assignment. Okay. It's the identifying that you may intend to assign. So it puts the other party on notice that you're you're intending to assign the contract, but it is not the assignment in and of itself. So under the express terms of the contract, it says this may not be assigned without written consent. So when it comes time to do the assigning, then you have to identify who the assignee is, and then everybody has to sign off. I have seen, though, where um, because of the and or assigns, the other party is just like, yeah, whatever. So tax deferred exchange. In uh, in our closings, we have this thing called a settlement agreement and waiver. Basically, all the stuff that you don't want to have 30 pages of documents for, we put into one document. And one part of it refers to, hey, you didn't intend for this to be a tax-deferred exchange because we would need to know about it, right? Yeah. And people will say, well, what's that? And like, then you didn't intend to do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what it is, you didn't intend to do it. But it's a way to, um, like, say you're selling an investment property. You can, you know, have the exchange or, or a qualified intermediary, they're called, take the funds. You never come into possession of the funds because that's when you get taxed. Mm -hmm. So the qualified intermediary takes possession of the funds and then uses those funds to buy you a new investment property within the prescribed time frame from the IRS. So right now it's, um, I believe, 45 days to identify, 180 days to close. If there is a tax-deferred exchange being involved, so say the seller intends to do tax-deferred exchange, sometimes called a 1031 exchange because that's the code that allows this, there's going to be another party involved, the intermediary. So the the buyer in that case, you know, the contract says that you agree to cooperate in affecting the exchange. Uh, you'll do essentially whatever is reasonably necessary to do that, but you won't incur any extra charges or liability for doing so. Yeah. Really, it doesn't affect you if the other party does a tax-deferred exchange. It's only a benefit to them tax-wise, and it is, it's kind of like, hey, it doesn't hurt you at all to let them assign the contract to the qualified intermediary. It's not really changing the identity of the parties, and that's why you don't need the written consent to assign. Uh, moving on, speaking of parties, tell us about paragraph 17. I thought you were inviting me to a party. <laughs> um, so the parties is all about this contract shall be binding upon those people that we put on page one. So buyer and seller. And it's also going to be binding on their respective heirs. It's not a common occurrence, but it's not unheard of that somebody dies, <laughs> a yeah. seller specifically. Yeah. Um, we've talked about buyers can back out. Um Anytime. Mm -hmm. Sellers, it's not as easy as that. Mm -hmm. And so when a seller dies and they're in the process of selling their property, they are still in the process of selling mm -hmm. their property. Yep. So just because they're dead doesn't mean, oh, well, I really wanted grandpa's house. I'm yep. sorry. Grandpa was selling it. Yep. And so you now <laughs> get yeah. to sign um, yeah. with the rest of the heirs or however the will states. Mm -hmm. And so you are still under contract for that property, even if somebody passes away. Paragraph 18 is about survival. <laughs> what does survival mean in so, this context? Survival are provisions that are in the contract that can't be done until after closing has happened are still in effect, even though closing has happened. Mm -hmm. So if you said that I'm going to fix the pool and... Mm -hmm we just had a terrible snowstorm before closing, you couldn't fix the pool, you still got to fix the pool. Mm -hmm. You're under contract for it. 
And so that's that survival element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I think that's a really good, simple way to explain that. Paragraph 19, entire agreement. This is what lawyers refer to as a merger clause. This is basically the party saying, hey, whatever agreements we have are written down on paper. We don't have any side agreements that would contradict this. And at this point, anything that we've talked about, agreed to, whatever, is merged within to this document. This is the agreement forever and ever, amen, unless amended after the fact. The next paragraph, paragraph 20, conduct of transaction. I think this one is pretty simple in that um, it says like, okay, you can sign it by electronic means. Uh, Certain parts of these things are important, but they're not material. So if like, say you you write back with, um, oh, that's actually not my address. This is the address. That's not a counteroffer. Yeah. You know, there's just a few things in there saying, hey, these are just, these are the administrative, these are housekeeping items on how you can get the contract done and executed. And speaking of execution, talk to me about paragraph 21. Really, it talks about this contract can be signed in multiple originals or counterparts. Really, when you e-sign, when you physically sign, you're signing, you're executing the contract. And once all parties have signed, that's when the contract's Mm -hmm. fully executed. Whether you sign on the same page or not, as long as everybody's signed, it's done. Yep. Um, Computation of time or computation of days and time of day, paragraph 22. This is really saying days means calendar days, including Saturdays, Sundays, holidays. Days doesn't start the day that it was signed or whatever, um, you know, the notice is required. The count starts the next day. And then the timing... Like if you say 5 p.m. on October 31st, it means what time it is in North Carolina. Yep. So it doesn't matter if all the parties at the time they signed were in Europe on vacation. It's not 5 (laughs) p.m. in Europe in whatever country they're in. It's 5 p.m. in the state of North Carolina. Uh, Paragraph 23 is interesting, talking about remedies. This is actually the end. We almost did it in 15 minutes, Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) So... Talk to me about if the buyer breaches the contract, what are the seller's options? Oh, okay. So if the buyer breaches the contract, the the seller's options are they get to keep the earnest money deposit and they get that due diligence. Mm-hmm. That's really it. Mm-hmm. Unless they like came in and destroyed the property. Um, then we discuss that in a different episode. Yep. <laughs> they could be responsible for that. But mm-hmm. if... If they just said, oh, you know, I know it's a day before closing, but I, I decided I don't want to buy the house anymore. You, you can keep their earnest money and you can keep their due diligence. Yeah, much like if they just decided to terminate after due diligence. Um, and that's because in the contract, the, the parties are saying, hey, it's, it's not possible for us to figure out what your damages are. So this, the earnest money and due diligence will serve as liquidated damages. Yep. Liquidated damages is a legal term to refer to, this is enough money for, to compensate you for your loss. We are agreeing in advance that if I do, if I'm the bad actor and I do something bad, you get $100 and that's it. Yep. No matter how bad or how mad you get, it's $100, the end of story. So that's why I think negotiating those earnest money and due diligence deposits are important um, on both sides, but you know, if you're thinking from the seller's perspective, all right, if the buyer completely, you know, let's say they don't close and it's two weeks after closing and they haven't, they don't have a good reason we haven't terminated or we haven't extended, um, you know, they've breached for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, is this enough for me to feel like I've compensated for my loss? 
you know, it's it's usually never enough. But <laughs> if it's five dollars, you're gonna say no. I was off the market for 45 days, and yeah, that's not enough. So uh, breach by seller. The buyer's got more options. Yep. As we've mentioned, the buyer uh, in general has more options than the seller. It's a little more buyer friendly because, you know, the buyers putting all their eggs in this basket, this is probably where they're going to live. Um, and they've identified this specific property. They yep. can't just plug in a different property for this one because properties are unique. Yep. So buyer can terminate and get earnest money and due diligence back um, if the seller breaches, along with their reasonable costs that they incurred in connection with their due diligence. Inspections, surveys, mm-hmm. ti- I mean, title work yep. would be one of those things. Um, provided those things are reasonable. If they spent uh, $30,000 on a home inspector for a a 1,200-square-foot house, they're not getting, you know, that's not reasonable. Um, But provided the costs are reasonable, they can get that money back. Or they can elect not to terminate, uh, move forward, and seek the remedy of specific performance. And that's because property is unique. They can go to court and say, judge, I want to buy this house, make the seller sell me this house. Mm-hmm. And then finally, this goes both ways, regardless of who breached. If legal proceedings are brought by either party to recover what they are entitled to under this remedies paragraph, then they can, that winning party can recover their reasonable attorney's fees to do so. Yep. So again, reasonable. Um, if you, you know, if you're fighting over $12,000 and then you go get an attorney that's $12,000 an hour, obviously that wouldn't happen in in North Carolina, but like if you got a New York City attorney to come down here and get you your 12K, um, probably not going to recover your attorney's fees. Only yeah. what's reasonable. And that is the North Carolina offer to purchase. We did it. So, <laughs> uh, we thank you for listening to that. Hopefully you learned a little bit. I feel very passionate about making sure that agents are are hyper aware of what is in this contract and how it affects their clients. So maybe you come back to these episodes. Maybe you think, you know, like, okay, Tiffany is way too long-winded. I can't listen to the whole thing. Just fast forward to the good parts. Yeah. I will not be upset, but we appreciate you tuning in. This has been another episode of the North Carolina Real Estate Show. Aaron, thank you for joining me. Uh-huh.